0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, August 11th, 2021. And unless something really, really awful happens, uh, this uh, we are only going to do one podcast today, as opposed to yesterday when we did two, because we did a morning one in which we discussed Andrew Cuomo's fate, and then his fate was revealed to us about two hours after we recorded. The other thing I want to tell you guys is that uh, the problems with the Apple podcast feed uh, are apparently over uh, and solved, and so everything... Should be going smoothly. Uh, we had a little bit of a panic there, but, uh, but things have uh, been... The ship has been set aright. With me, as always, Associate Editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Senior Writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Um, so, uh, I don't know that there's much to say about the second day of uh, Andrew Cuomo's... Um, resignation i mean he's uh it's uh, going into effect in in 13 days i guess and now the coverage has moved on to you know what his successor kathy hochel will be like and and all of that sort of uh, I,
1: well i don't know if you've yeah. seen it but pre is that how you pronounce his last yes. name i only read these people's names so i mm-hmm. never know um but uh yeah so he put out this statement i guess like an instagram thing where it's just you know an image of a statement where he was like why 14 days governor doesn't need 14 days to resign it's not like you're a manager at a wawas you don't need to submit two weeks resignation and train your successor just get the heck out of there uh maggie haberman picked up on that and said she's hearing a lot of that from the people who have uh have fallen from uh from the uh, the the, or, the orbit of uh, Andrew Cuomo, they want him out yesterday, not in two weeks, because a lot of mischief can be done in, in the two week period. Very, you know, not being not elaborating on what that could entail, but very ominous and sort of leading that uh, we should all be terrified of the next 13 days of Cuomo's administration.
0: Yes, Preparara, that tower of jello, that towering figure of rectitude, the man who we learned uh, yesterday morning. Uh, in the release by the New Yorker of Ronan Farrow's piece on Andrew Cuomo's monkeying around with the commission that he appointed to investigate corruption in New York state, that um, when he disbanded that commission, because it was getting too close to his office and Preet Bharara, then the U S attorney uh, said publicly that the people who had been investigated and the people on the staff should have, should maintain their papers and hold on to them uh, and not destroy them, that Andrew Cuomo called the White House, the Obama White House, and yelled and screamed at Valerie Jarrett, Obama's consigliere, saying, who is this guy? Get him off my back. This is your guy. Preparara knew this. This was 2013. Gee, it's eight years later. How come we're only hearing about this with Andrew Cuomo on the downslide? He's a wimp, he's a wuss, he's a, because he's a wimp, because he's a wuss, because he's a a factitious political figure who was trying to make his living now having been nobly fired by Donald Trump as U.S. attorney in 2017. And he's got a podcast. He wasn't going to go crosswise of Andrew Cuomo. Now, you can then say this is part of the story of Andrew Cuomo is, you know, you don't want to make Andrew Cuomo an enemy. But then you don't get to walk around strutting around saying, how dare he? Like, okay, so go back into your little hole, you coward, Go back into your little hole and don't give people lectures. Thank you very much for being part of the world that made that made people like me, who have been writing for years about Andrew Cuomo's psychopathy and the danger that he poses as an elected official, twisting in the wind, looking like we are, you know, gadfly right-wing lunatics <clears throat> opposing the love gov and his wonderful mountain of posters. I mean, you know, just just to not to put too fine a point on it, like watching people get all full of rectitude about Andrew Cuomo when they knew who he was a decade ago and kept their mouths shut out of their own understandable instinct for self-preservation should put them in a place of a certain type of modesty in response to what has since happened. But it's not I mean, I don't think it's even though he was he was not the best messenger for
2: this. I I mean, I was I was suspicious. I said it yesterday about the two week thing that didn't that didn't strike me. I don't know if that's normal within the range of resignations. But given the massive ego that we know Andrew Cuomo to have. He's he's kind of Trump-like in his ability to push the boundaries. I mean, what's he going to do? Pardon himself if he's <laughs> convicted of something? People are are speculating about that sort of thing, and not just because they're grandstanding like like uh, Preet is. I I just think that there's there's something weird about it. I don't know what it is. I just don't trust Cuomo, and and like like you, John, most of us on this podcast haven't. So I just think it's a it's a reasonable suspicion to raise. Even if he well, what's was he going to do?
1: I know. I don't know. But he could do. I mean, it, I don't know how reasonable it is, because once you start ex- speculating about the sabotage that he could execute from the governor's office, it starts to seem very fanciful. I mean, the guy doesn't have anywhere to go.
2: It's more cover-up. Like, he just needs to be, close on a house. I would just be more worried about cover-up. He uh, That would be the any sort of cover-up that he might be able to do in two weeks. Perhaps it's, you know, I'm being extremely cynical and suspicious, but...
0: Okay, he's a nut. So here are the possibilities. He's a nut. (laughs) One of the possibilities could be that he did this in the hopes that there would be a mass emotional outpouring from the electorate. Right. Remember, he tried to have a support rally for himself. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. Don't, don't go. We need you. We need you to rename things after members of your family. (laughs) We want you to, you know, please by all means name the high bridge in the bronx after yourself do something you're so wonderful that could be that's that's narcissism number 1 not no, narcissism not not narcissism Cynicism number 2 would be he's there to shred files he's got files in his own office he wants to get rid of and he's going to take garbage bags out and you know shred them and throw them away and number 3 is that he's got some plan where he's gonna dig up some stuff on he's gonna see what he can do about digging up stuff on the people who are gonna impeach him, see if he can scare the crap out of them and then rescind his resignation. I mean I suppose I don't think there's I don't think there's a legally binding sense in which that resignation is and, legally binding as of today. And like his it's assistant, not, yeah.
2: his, sorry to interrupt, but his assistant who did her very public resignation the other day has also now post date has now put a date on that as being the same two week. It will she'll resign effective when he resigns, which so she was kind of waiting to see what he did, and now she's going to resign at the same time he does, even though she publicly announced it earlier.
1: I mean the he, shredding of documents thing. I, I don't know the it's it's a very tricky thing to do. That you know <laughs> you can easily. Uh, attract the attention of prosecutors you don't want, and he already has the attention of prosecutors he doesn't want. Wouldn't that just everybody sort of assumes that this the the allegations that he violated state and federal law here will go away once he he uh, you know leaves the governor's office? Wouldn't that imperil that implicit assumption on the part of everybody involved here?
0: Yes, so that's why he is crazy, you know, though. But uh, there's also
3: a, a kind of. Um, optics consideration, I think here, uh, if he leaves, leaving, giving two weeks sort of creates a less scandalous kind of, uh, more ordinary sense of someone leaving their job than, than if he were to, you know, it's like, it's like the difference between having uh, security come up telling you to put your things in a box and get out that moment. Uh, as opposed to, you know, being able to say your goodbyes. No perp so, walk. I, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's you know, he he wants to, he wants to you know, put a nicer uh, face on things. Uh, okay, by so the way, that's he's rational. Not, he, he's not alone. Uh, I think, see, I still think Christine's right when she said yesterday that he's going to ultimately end up rehabilitated uh, somewhere on, in the liberal firmament uh, in the future and do just fine. Did you see that Joe Biden uh said i respect his uh governor cuomo's decision and he did a hell of a job
0: yeah well listen um you know uh, a friend of the podcast uh listener people uh know well uh i'm not gonna uh i'm not gonna out his identity uh because he can uh he can use this himself uh uh, when he wants to but uh emailed me last night uh i had mentioned during uh the emergency podcast we did yesterday when we were having this argument that uh you know the, the notion that somehow democrats police their own but republicans don't was belied by the case of eric Greitens, the mayor, uh, mayor the governor of missouri who resigned in 2018 ahead of um various uh increase into his uh behavior. Um, There was another case, which was Robert Bentley, the governor of Alabama, who resigned in 2017 as a Republican-led legislature was uh, moving on impeaching him. I don't remember for what. But the Greitens example is instructive in another way, which is that Greitens is running again for the governorship in 2022 of Missouri, having stepped back and uh, and made the argument that he was being unfairly railroaded or whatever. He just stepped back. He is now trying again. So there is a a history, at least in this anecdotal universe, of somebody trying to rehabilitate himself uh, despite having had to resign in disgrace. There are other cases of this. Uh, Vito Fasella um, is now the... B.F.S.L. was a congressman from Staten Island, Republican congressman from Staten Island, got stopped uh, for drunk driving. And um, in it somehow, because of this drunk driving stop in 2007 in Virginia, it turned out that he was a bigamist. I don't remember how it turned out <laughs> that we discovered that he was a bigamist from a drunk driving stop. But, but he had to resign, and he is now back as, I think, Staten Island borough president. So... I mean, you know, that may not be the kind of rehabilitation level that Andrew Cuomo was seeking, particularly having become one of the most famous politicians in America. But this does, you know, there are second acts in American lives. The dumbest thing anyone ever said was F. Scott Fitzgerald's notorious statement that there are no second acts in American lives. There are only second acts in American lives. Nobody who has a life in America hasn't had a second life. Like, everybody has had some dance with failure, some public humiliation, something like that, that stiffens their spine, makes them tougher, gives them a thicker skin, and they come back from adversity to triumph anew. So um, the thing is that he's already had that, Cuomo. He had to quit the governor's race in 2002 because he was screwing it up so badly he was going to lose in the primary in September 2002 to a non-entity named Carl McCall, so he quit rather than be defeated. Um, So it's not as though he hasn't had his moments. Um, But yeah, I mean, he could... One one possible thing is, what if the 2022 governor's nomination in New York State is a horror show? What if everybody who runs is a nightmare, and everything is terrible, and everybody's getting 5% of the vote, and it's Bill de Blasio versus Kathy hochel who will be the sitting governor who is like who turns out to be bad and screws up and nobody likes her and nobody likes anybody and the primaries in June of 2022 and Cuomo gets back in in April. What if he says, you know what? Give me a shot. Like you know what I can do, you know what I've done. Now, I don't know I don't know if that is actually going to be a good message. Uh because of the nursing home stuff and various other things, but I suppose it is a message. So, and
3: he'll have a, he'll have a um, redemption memoir out there. I don't know. No
0: one's published. Did you read the story? Of the redemption New York Times? redemption substack. Crown? It'll
2: be a substack, not a memoir.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so crown uh, publishers pays uh, five million dollars for his book, and it sells fifty thousand copies, uh, thus making it one of the most expensive failures in the history of American publishing. So I think he's in publishing jail. Well, no one wants that book. They want the book about why he was, you know, touching people. Yeah. <laughs>
3: that's
0: that's a yeah. Lot, that's a lot different. Yeah. 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 Mama Cuomo's face touching primer. Yeah, exactly. Here's what you're supposed to do. Go up to people and grab them by the face. Oh, no, it's we're not, an expressive no. we've got people. the title.
2: It's I'm not perverted, I'm Italian. <laughs> the Cuomo yeah. redemption story. Yeah.
0: That's it. Yeah. That would be that would be something. I don't know what it would be, but it would be something. Um something else that I think is worth Uh, Discussing uh, here is uh, the early polling on who might replace him in 2022. And there are like 10 or 11 people mentioned. Again, this is a poll of Democrats, I think. And so we can take it as gospel because Democrats like to answer pollsters. And uh, Bill de Blasio gets 11% in this poll. poll. So uh, he is uh, noodling a run. And of course, Of all people who should be enjoying himself right now, uh, de Blasio is number one. Um, Cuomo uh, basically decided to try to destroy him the minute that he got into office because he didn't want anybody else, you know, like stealing his thunder in New York State and stealing his thunder with Democrats and all this. And, And he, their relationship has been among the most toxic in the history of American politics two politicians of the same party, you know, with many of the same goals in the same place. And one of them just wants to destroy the other. And, and if you had speculated last year that De Blasio would be the survivor and Cuomo would be the one hightailing it out of town, nobody would have believed that you knew what the hell you were talking about. And now here we are. Like, it's a pretty fantastic, uh, you just never, never, Never assume you know where the future is going. You know, I mean, this is a very important thing. We're always, people are always very confident in saying, eh, this will never happen. Eh, he's toast. That one's never going Bill Clinton was boring in 1988 at the convention. He'll never go anywhere. You know, that kind of thing. Biden's old. Oh my God, look what Kamala Harris did to him. Ooh, he's, he's so stung, you know. And that's just not the way... The world works, and we fall for it every time, this epistemological uh, falsity of assurance about how how things are going in a straight line, which should give us some modesty about this very question we began with, about Cuomo's future. Still, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I just, uh, you know, a fall this far, this high, this fast to just pick yourself up and dust yourself off. I mean, he—he he is, you know, he fell from like fifty thousand feet. All of his bones are broken. You know, I—I I mean, he can recover, and he can, you know, he, maybe he'll be able to walk again. But
3: I think a lot of it depends on the, the, the legal outcomes here. I mean, um, if he's if he's you know found found you know uh, guilty of you know um, whatever of actually um, harassing certain people
0: then then he's in trouble well that that's another that's another interesting question is yeah what what happens to these cases you know will will the will the the uh, the trooper who swore out or whoever it was who swore out the complaint against him criminal and complaint does trump drop pardon him? him in his next presidency <laughs> <laughs> well there you go <clears throat> that's a fantastic place for me to break and talk to you about aura because the way you've used the internet has changed dramatically over the last decade. But you know what hasn't changed? Security protocols. The security tools you use have mostly stayed the same. Aura provides complete digital security to help protect your online accounts, finances, and devices, and more. All in one easy-to-use app. Look, most credit card companies do a good job of protecting you against fraudulent purchases. But what if a scammer files from unemployment in your name? Or if your social media accounts are hacked? Aura's protection goes well beyond your credit card. Between your photos, finances, devices, and connections, your world is more online than ever. You may have security systems in place for real life, but what about your online life? Aura can sound the alarm if your digital presence is at risk. It provides digital security protection to keep all of that stuff safe from online threats. It's all-in-one protection from identity theft, financial fraud, malware, scam sites, so much more. Aura will alert you to those fraud and threats fast. Like if your online accounts or passwords were leaked online, or if someone tries to open a bank account in your name, it's easy to set up. All plans come with a million dollars in identity theft insurance to help recover your stolen funds and experienced US-based customer support that's got your back. This is a new type of security service that protects all of your online information and devices with one simple subscription with an easy online dashboard <clears throat> Excuse me, and alerts sent straight to your phone. Aura keeps you in control and guides you through solving any issues. And right now, <coughs> Aura has a limited time offer for our listeners to get early access and three months free when you visit Aura.com slash commentary. Go to Aura.com slash commentary to get access before anyone else in three months for free for a limited time. That's Aura.com slash commentary. Um so Joe Manchin has indicated late last night, has indicated he will not vote for the 3.5 trillion dollar reconciliation bill, and I think it's fair to say that Kristen Cinema, or Kirsten Cinema I keep mispronouncing her name I apologize It's spelled so weird, it's hard to keep it straight, actually um, is not going to vote for it either, which of course uh, raises the question: why are we going to spend a month on this? It's, it's going to, it's, it's not going to pass the Senate. So it's over with. So, so forget it. Like, why is Schumer bringing it up? Why are they going to be in special session? Why is the House doing what the House is doing? The ball is going to be in Nancy Pelosi's court. It's now going to be up to her whether or not she is going to hold Biden's triumphant bipartisan 6930 past the Senate infrastructure bill hostage to a bill that cannot pass the Senate.
2: See, this gives fodder, I think, to Noah's theory from the other day that it's actually a political posturing exercise that perhaps Pelosi doesn't have the power to stop, and it's why it's been signal It was signaled from the very beginning by the progressive coalition and particularly by Squad type folks that this was the hill they're going to die on. So I, I think it it gives some fodder to Noah's theory.
1: Yeah, I'll rate it up. Fine, uh-huh. I mean, I'll write a blog post about it. No, um, I mean. Isn't the simplest explanation here that Nancy Pelosi is not a is not a competent strategist. That, and she's demonstrated that time and time again that she really doesn't have an end game here. that this is just trying to keep her coalition together. Everybody's doing a dance. you know they're dancing around in the Senate because this is the entirety of the Democratic agenda. It's flaunting the you know the incrementalism that our system is founded upon. It's, it feels good even though it's not going anywhere. So it's it's a totem. Likewise, Nancy Pelosi is trying to keep her coalition together—the moderates and the and the progressives who are qu- quietly at war with one another. Um, all of whom, you know, it's like herding cats. You any know, any lose three of them, and you lose the whole the whole deal. So she's just trying to keep everybody on board with uh, something that resembles a strategy, but has is not executable.
0: So I mean, the the thing about Nancy Pelosi is. She has been the leader of the Democratic Party in the House for 17 years, minority and majority and minority and then majority again. 17 years, that's a long time. It's a long time to question her competency. Obviously, she is highly competent at maintaining her position as leader of the Democratic Party in the House, right? That is her that she has demonstrated an almost supernatural ability to do, and that's what we may be seeing here. Is there is no end game, there is no strategy, there is no long term approach here. She is eighty years old. She wants to go out on a high note, or whatever. Uh, she's got a she's got a completely compliant press corps that covers her as though she is. You know, a combination of a hot chick, a rock star, a grandma, a Catholic, a tough guy, a compassionate person, all of that. And she's just putting Scotch tape and, you know, and Elmer's glue and whatever to just kind of hold this. Uh, thing that centripetal force, if I've got the force right, right? Centripetal force is the one that spirals out as opposed to spirals in. So the centripetal, the natural force here is for this coalition to explode, right? Three vote margin, majority margin in the House of Representatives means there are four or 10 or 12 progressives who hold the whip hand, but there are also like 30 or 40 moderates who hold the whip hand. And so, and their whip hands are entirely in, 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 in you know, in
1: conflict. And so if she can sort of- But Pelosi, it, I mean, to take the metaphor a little further, Pelosi has not been able to stay their whip hands. They've been whipping each other constantly since they've resumed, resumed the, the majority in 2018. It's, it's been nothing but quiet conflict. And it's not the sort of conflict that the press is inclined to, you know, whip up into democratic civil war nonsense.
0: But it didn't matter. It didn't matter all that much until January, right? It didn't matter. I mean, it mattered. She didn't want to impeach Trump. And then the uh, activist logic was that Trump had to be impeached. And so Trump was impeached. And it was sort of a foolish waste of time exercise, even if he thought it was noble and he deserved to be impeached for Ukraine. It was never going to happen. It wasn't. He, you know, he, you know, the trial was going to be a joke and all of that. And uh, so she impeached him, and then they impeached him a second time and a much worthier impeachment, in my view. But the time ran out uh, to matter. Um, but so there's that. But it just didn't matter that much because they always had a roadblock ahead of them, which was a Republican president who didn't want to. Pass their agenda. Now there's a Democratic president. So all that was once unthinkable is now thinkable. And that's where you start getting into the real prospect that her effort to do what she's going to do could hand Biden a catastrophic defeat. I, mean, I don't think it's too much to say that should the infrastructure bill go down to defeat because AOC and the squad decide that they need to kill it, that this will say to people, you know what, he can't do anything. And I'm not just talking about, you know, us. I'm talking about independents who voted for him. I'm talking about people in the middle. It's like, he's so weak. And you know what, the CDC is doing things without him knowing. He can't even herd his own party into passing a piece of legislation. The hell with him. You know, he's just another version of the same old... You know nonsense. Like he's not a strong man; he's a weak man. You know.
2: Well, and that and, and the fact that the fact that this defeat, if it comes, would be at the hands of his own party, and right. they would not be able to spin it. It's like how the Democrats have tried to to pin defund the police on Republicans repeatedly. It's it's laughable, and they'll try to do it. They'll try to say, "Oh, it's because you know it's McConnell. It's this or it's that." It, no, it will be entirely on their side of the aisle, and it'll be difficult to explain to moderate independent suburban voters why they couldn't get this done,
1: especially because he's been boasting about it now the Senate passed the infrastructure. I mean, bill. it's tough to believe. I, I think that this uh, that would suit progressive interests just fine. They, this is always a marriage of convenience for them. They weren't very thrilled with the prospect of a Biden presidency and sort of scuttling it over their pet projects would be in keeping with their total strategic lack of foresight. <clears throat> but it would redound to the benefit of Republicans only. Why did Joe Biden fail in, in his, his key legislative push? Because he went too far, because, his, because they, they sought progressivism when he ran on something entirely different. Why is he such an incompetent commander in chief? Because he's withdrawing from Afghanistan recklessly and heedlessly and, and humiliating the United States in the process. He's just affirming every cr- conservative critique of the administration. And, and advancing their arguments, uh, progressives might think that they could get, you know, a, win a news cycle out of the deal. But that the fruition of their plan would be in twenty twenty five, right? And right. in, in the interim, they would have to suffer the rebuke of their entire party and the marginalization of the, their marginalization by their own party for the, the, for the next thirty six months. So maybe we should
0: explain this just, you know, that we're not, you know, this is not National Journal or, you know, the Cook Political Report. So uh, this is not the place you come to to get your instruction on the ins and outs of how legislation is passed. But the Senate has passed the hard infrastructure bill and has passed it by an enormous margin, 69 to 30. 19 Republicans voted for the hard infrastructure bill, including Mitch McConnell, that has now passed the Senate. That then has to go to the House. The House has to vote on its version. It then has to go into a committee for the two bills to be harmonized. And then each chamber will have a final vote possibility. We'll have to vote for it, vote for the harmonized bill. Then it goes to the president for signature. He signs it. It becomes law. That's a huge margin. It's 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 the largest bipartisan margin since. You ready for this? The passage of the uh, affirmation of the right for George Bush to go to war in Iraq in 2002, which I think was 77 to 23. I believe this is the largest bipartisan margin on a on a piece of controversial legislation that we have seen in two decades. It now has to go to the House, and the House has to pass it. Democrats have a three seat majority in the House, presume based on the way the House functions that there will be no Republican votes for it. Although you can't necessarily assume that because we did see that those 19 Republicans voting for the hard hard infrastructure bill are doing so because they see a political advantage in it. But Republicans are not going to make this easy for Nancy Pelosi. They are not going to be there to be the votes that save her from, uh, that allow her liberals to vote against it so that they can walk around saying that we refuse to, you know, uh, cave to this uh, horrible uh, mini package. Speaking she, of,
1: we haven't even talked about the uh, Senate Democrats' uh, debt ceiling gambit,
0: right? But uh, you know, we need to leave that for another day. You you're under a time crunch, and we need to finish this this point. So now the Senate's going to take up the three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation bill which only needs to pass the senate by 51 votes that would be 50 democrats and kamala harris nancy pelosi says she will not call a vote on the hard infrastructure bill that has already passed the senate until she gets from the senate a three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation bill that's what she says Last night Joe Manchin said ain't gonna be no three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation bill. I am not gonna vote for it. That's 49 votes from 50 down to 49, 50 Republican votes against it. It's over. It's gone. Like they can't pass it by a you know, a simple majority vote with the vice president breaking the tie. Is Nancy Pelosi not going to call a vote on hard infrastructure? Now that there has been an unambiguous signal that this whole process relating to the bill that she wants to use to hold, you know, to she is holding the infrastructure bill hostage to this other bill will not pass. But it'll take a month for it not to pass. She's going to sit there holding on to the hard infrastructure bill to humor the squad.
1: Am I am I getting this correctly? Am I missing something? Well, what, what, why wouldn't they could just scuttle it? What, what makes us think they're not genuine in that desire to not pass this bill? Right. Well, so so that's my
0: point. So she is doing what she can to hold them. Biden, you know, this is the rubber is meeting the road here. This is more important to Biden than it is to anybody else, including people in America who are, need high speed Internet in rural areas so much. Um, didn't Pelosi go out on a
3: relatively similar limb with COVID relief uh, when Trump was still in office, and then they called they called her bluff, and she came, and she came back down off the ledge. Yes, this
1: is why she's a terrible yes. strategist <laughs> and legislative strategist. Um, aside from that, you know, the, also the anti Semitism censure vote where she got rolled there. So yes, there was in March I think of 2020 where the urgency was was palpable and acute. And uh, there was this, uh, as I recall, there was a package that Republicans offered in the Senate and um, Republicans still had control of the Senate. So there was largely what was going to pass. And <clears throat> and, the, and this negotiation was going on between the House and the Senate for some time. And they had something resembling a framework that they could get through for emergency relief. And then Nancy Pelosi dropped this wish list that was right. so tone deaf and, and humiliating. It was like funding for NASA, funding for the Kennedy Center for the arts. I and mean, it was like. All, all their pet projects rolled into this uh, COVID relief bill at, at the height of the emergency. And yes, it looked, it was very, it didn't meet the measure of the moment. And she definitely had to back off of it in pretty short measure. But it, it it gave them a really bad news cycle. And that's really all they got out of the deal.
0: Right. Well, as we say, A, she holds her majority together for her own purposes, not necessarily for the furtherance of democratic ideals or liberal needs or 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 the or the advantages uh, that Democrats should be deriving from having majorities in the House, the Senate, and the presidency that aren't simply the advantages of being able to advance psychotic liberal and leftist legislation. Like that is not, you know, but she needs to hold herself together, right? That is the that is that is the key to understanding her. And the key to understanding your comfort while you work, is the X chair. The X chair with that innovation, the LMX temperature regulation. Let's talk about it, okay? If you're cold in the summer from your air conditioning, you can turn the LMX temperature regulator to high and uh, heat. So, and it, at the same time, it will warm up and soothe your tired muscles. If your office is hot, you can set it to cooling and it will help cool you down. If you're feeling stressed, turn on the massage therapy and relax. x already had its patented dynamic variable lumbar support already best in class with incredibly responsive low back support. Now with LMAX, your comfort is guaranteed. You won't believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you're working. There has never been a better time to ditch that old no-name office chair. Boost your productivity by treating yourself to the joys of X-Chair. Go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X. The word chair, commentary.com, or call 1-844-4X-Chair to save $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchaircommentary.com now and use code XWheels for free X Wheel XWheelBladecasters, xchaircommentary.com. Okay, let's talk about COVID to close out the show. Why are we talking about COVID? Well, the New York Times love it, hate it, hate it, as most of you probably do. Nonetheless, in terms of a lot of its data collection, you can't beat it. They have finally put together a chart of breakthrough uh, cases of the Delta variant versus cases uh, altogether. It is It was new in the paper last night. And that was pretty exciting. And what it shows is that nobody is, no vaccinated people are getting the breakthrough. The breakthrough is not happening. Uh, the data do not suggest they have 40 states in which they have managed to collect data. And uh, let me just read out some of the, some of the numbers here, okay? Uh, in Alabama... Uh, which is one of the hardest hit states, okay? The hospitalization rate per 100,000 is 75 times higher for unvaccinated people than vaccinated people. The actual numbers, 696 unvaccinated hospitalized with COVID, vaccinated people in Alabama, nine, nine. Death rate per 100,000 for vaccinated people, three for unvaccinated people, 124, 48 times higher in Arizona, 47 times higher for hospitalization, 73 times higher for death. In Georgia, 161 times higher for vaccinated people, 87 times higher when it comes to death and on and on and on and on in the numbers of hospitaliza- the hospitalization rate per 100,000 in state after state after state, the numbers are minuscule. They are minuscule. California, the largest state in the country, nine per 100,000 people. That's 90 hospitalizations with COVID-19. By the way, that is not only the Delta variant. That is all cases. Nine multiply... Uh, you know, uh, nine per 100,000, that's 90 per a million times 38. So it's 90 times 38. It's like, what is that? That's like uh, uh, 2,700 people, something like that, 2,800 people hospitalized in the entire state of California with COVID. Uh, And the death rate, one per 100,000 people. One per 100,000 people. That's 10 for a million. That's 380 per 100, you know, 380 in the entire state uh, with collection a, as it slices. And we have percentages also. Let's talk about the percentages, okay? Preg through hospitalizations as a percent of all COVID hospitalizations. Alabama, 0.3%. California, 0.4%. Massachusetts, where we had the big outbreak, right, in Provincetown, 1.1%. Michigan, 1.1%. Nebraska, 0.9%. New Jersey, Noah's home state, 0.3%. North Dakota, 1.3%. Rhode Island, oddly enough, uh, (laughs) seems to be the highest here with 4% uh, breakthrough vaccination cases as a percentage of all COVID hospitalizations. This is a percentage of all COVID hospitalizations, right? We are not even at an, a, an average over 2% or something across the country where
1: we have been able to collect data. But here's, here's why this is such a Rorschach test. <clears throat> Going for for us, this is like, this is over, right? This is done. This, this is the, the epidemic, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, it's over, right? Um, Down further in the story, in the Times story, uh, one assistant professor of epidemiology at the University of South Florida, quote, most breakthrough cases will not be diagnosed because they tend to be mild, more like a cold. This is presented to you as bad news because it hinders our capacity to collect data on breakthrough cases. To us, that sounds like mission accomplished. That sounds like the end game. But it's not, according to these people in part because of their variety of concerns that have led them to believe that 100% or nothing is the objective here. They cannot make themselves comfortable with the notion that there's going to be a percentage of population, a small percentage, but nevertheless, in a country of 300 million people, 10%, 15% is a lot of people, but they're unreachable. They will not be vaccinated under any circumstances. And we have to be able to accept that prospect. People are convincing themselves now that Oh, this this hypothetical variant that could evade infections, and we have to make sure that everybody's vaccinated. Otherwise, if you don't, you're not caring for your neighbors, you're not caring for your family, you're a callous, horrible person, and you want everyone to die. We're back to that discourse, it's very, you know, spring of 2020. The Delta variant emerged in India. The next variant that's going to be that aggressive and that deadly will arise abroad where 15% of the planet is fully vaccinated. Most of the planet is not vaccinated. If you were truly, genuinely concerned about this, you would be devoting all your energies, a manic focus, to vaccinating the world as fast as you possibly could. They're not doing that because this isn't about that. It's about exercising agency, demonstrating efficacy, your capacity to move the public in a direction you want them to, and to punish everyone if you can't. That's their focus. It is mania. It has nothing to do with data. It is all about power i gotta read you the data again u.s vaccinations 12
0: and up 18 and up 65 and up okay i'm gonna read you the at least one dose because the theory is that three weeks after the at least one dose everybody who is in the at least one dose gets the second dose if they didn't get johnson johnson and they get vaccinated 65 and up with at least one dose 91% of the population of the United States is vaccinated. 18 and up, 71%. 12 and up, ready? 69%. There is no longer a meaningful gap between 12 and up and 18 and up. Okay? They are basically at the same level, which means that we can say that for everybody who can be vaccinated... The vaccination rate in the United States is now well over 70% of everybody that can be vaccinated, since 12 and under cannot be vaccinated, okay? Everybody, 69% with one dose, 71% with one dose over 18, 91%, 65 and up. Fully vaccinated, 12 and up, 60% okay by next by the end of April, of august seven it will be it will be at least 70% um the mandates that we're talking about are designed to control us they're designed to control us because we did what we were supposed to do we went out we got vaccinated <clears throat> now If the fear is that there might be a period in which the breakthrough vaccinations, we got a breakthrough vaccination. We got all this Delta variant in our nose. We're spewing it out at people before we even feel a symptom or without ever feeling a symptom. And then we're spreading it unknowingly and it's spreading and it's spreading and spreading. We don't know that that's happening. And in fact, the data on the Delta variant hospitalizations offers us absolutely no reason to believe that that is happening in any numbers whatsoever. In any numbers whatsoever, what we know is that the unvaccinated are having another dance with COVID. Not that the vaccinated are having a dance with COVID, and yet all discussion is about universal mandates, citywide, statewide. School district wide, all of that. I want one other thing because I want I want uh, to ask uh, Christine Abe to Kaiser Family Foundation has a poll out. You're going to hear about this today. It is going to say that while people oppose vaccine mandates, they support mask mandates in schools. Seventy percent support mask mandates in schools, but most, but but, I don't know, sixty percent oppose vaccine mandates. That is what you're going to hear. That's what MSNBC is going to say. That is going to be a misreporting of the data. What the data say is that 70% of people say that they support mask mandates in schools for the unvaccinated. Meaning kids under 12, even though we can go into why that's foolish, and teachers who won't vaccinate and teenagers who won't vaccinate. That is not support for a universal mask mandate. It is the opposite. It is drawing a distinction between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, which is exactly what everybody should be doing when we are talking about this. But that is not what we are talking about. Noah, you went to your local Wawa. They now have, uh, in in conjunction with what what your governor has announced, they have now into or you know this encouragement for businesses to push people to, you know, enforce this. They now have a uh, please put on a mask when you're indoors. Yeah, there's a new
1: sign out front <clears throat> on the door. There's no statewide imposition of mask <clears throat> remasking. It's not in my state. It doesn't exist yet. Maybe coming, but it's not th- it doesn't exist yet. So the sign says, "Regardless of your vaccination status, the CDC recommends you put on a mask." And more people are, but not everyone. Maybe like 50/50 when I was there for a good 10 minutes. And there's no enforcement. And there's no conflict over it. More importantly, everybody interacts just fine. The masked and the unmasked alike have their, you know, little engagements and nobody's there's no like air of suspicion, um, which was a very it contrasts strongly with the status quo of 2020. So may, maybe it's changing. Maybe it's going to get there eventually, but it's not there yet. There's these this is company policies and those companies are dutifully imposed, are, you know, instituting them, but they're not imposing them on their customers.
0: So how many people live in Jersey? I'm trying to remember. Is it 12 million? Is it? It's 9 million. 9 million. Okay. So New Jersey, your state. Would you like to know how many breakthrough COVID-19 hospitalizations there have been since vaccination began, which was, I guess, January? In the entire state of New Jersey? 195. That is 0.3% of all COVID hospitalizations. 0.3% in New Jersey. Number of deaths? fifty. 50 since January, breakthrough hospitalizations, breakthrough breakthrough cases, one point five percent of the total. What only to be... yeah go ahead go ahead. ahead, Abe. Abe. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What gets me about data like this and the, and the data that you've read about
3: the similar data from other states, is that uh in the times same story about this and elsewhere, they still write things like. We just don't have enough data to know the extent to which the vaccinated are at risk.
0: Right, because it says some of this data, is, you know, wasn't collected in August. So that's when the variant really started, you know, rushing through everything. So we can't really know in which case maybe they shouldn't be reporting the data at all if it's compromised data. So why are they publishing it? That's 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 argument number one. Uh, yeah, granted, they did a lot of work on it, but they don't have you know they don't have the most up to date data. Second of all, we are back in a world in which we have this conversation revolving around protecting the young, protecting people under twelve. And two things aren't happening. Number one, where is Joe Biden yelling at the FDA and pressuring the FDA to get the vaccines out for for twelve and under? Where is that? why isn't why aren't we getting a briefing on why that isn't happening all we get are these news stories saying it's coming maybe coming in two weeks maybe coming in a month we don't know why because the FDA, the fda is so wonderfully pristine that they can't have someone put pressure on them to release a you know whatever that drug was that their own panels didn't want to release i don't even remember which one it was two months ago like the fda is a political agency I'm sorry, maybe it's not supposed to be, but it is. And it works for the President of the United States and he can put pressure on it to do this uh, in the national interest. Um, Secondly, we don't have any hard data on the effect of the the breakthroughs on, uh, you know, the effect of, there does not seem to be a rush of kids with COVID no matter what you hear. All you're hearing are anecdotes. We don't have any numbers. We don't have any numbers that say that kids are getting sicker from covid. What well, we know is that tests are coming back more positive on covid, but the hosp- when when they say the wards are filling up, they're not filling up with children. They're well, alive. or And if they are, there's it's some of many of them are are getting
2: the, the sort of seasonal RSV virus that goes around and that does the respiratory virus that impacts kids. But look, here's some data. The places that are ha- that are that are reinstituting government mandated uh, mask wearing indoors, like my city of Washington, D.C., we've had more people murdered, killed via homicide in the District of Columbia in the past two weeks than have died of COVID. We've had zero COVID deaths for several weeks. And yet, we all have to. Even the vaccinated now have to wear masks indoors, supposedly to protect the vaccinated. We have a lot of data ward by ward in the in the city of uh, DC about who is vaccinated and who is not. The unvaccinated are highly concentrated in two wards east of the river. We know the the communities that are skeptical of the vaccine. There have been efforts made. And as Noah said, they're unlikely to continue to do that. However, they are not masking indoors. No one's enforcing that. No one has ever enforced that in those areas. There are clubs where people are dancing, maskless indoors. So COVID is spreading among those groups, but it's not, thank God, it's not leading to huge spikes in cases and illnesses and deaths. So this is an example where I'm being asked as a person who's vaccinated to live by zero COVID standards instead of being told, as we all should be in this country, it's time to learn how to live with this virus. It's going to be with us forever. It's not disappearing. It's it's going to be a seasonal thing. There'll be spikes, there'll be new variants, but we know what to do to protect most people. And it's to take these shots. If you don't want to take those shots, then here's the risk you're taking. Here are the things you're not going to be allowed to do, like go on a cruise or travel to this destination or go indoors maskless here. That's how we learn to live with something like this, because we can't control it down to the point where it's zero. And even in the localities like mine where we have zero deaths, they're still issuing mandates that make no sense. That's going to lead to anger, hostility, rebellion. People are really annoyed. And small businesses are especially annoyed right now in in my city because of these completely uh, outrageous uh, imposition of stuff that doesn't, A, has no proven benefit for the the vaccinated to be doing, and is going to harm small business uh, who've barely hung on over the last year and a half.
1: That's a question I want to tease out briefly (laughs) as we near the end of this podcast. So the assumption here on the part of uh, the political press and, and people I follow in this business is that yeah, people are very angry. They know they're especially the vaccinated. They're very angry, and they're very ac- uh, angry at the unvaccinated for doing this to them. We're not. We're angry at the politicians who are doing this to us. Um, oh, I'm angry at the compl- unvaccinated. You're angry at the, at the oh yeah. You're angry at everybody. No, I'm but, not. I'm angry at the unvaccinated. But go on. You're not angry at the politicians. I'm, I'm angry more angry at my mayor but than I'm angry are. at everybody. Yeah. Right.
2: so They'll get you the be. unvaccinated will get their punishment if they don't get vaccinated.
1: The question is, who, who's, who's the focus of more anger? Is it the unvaccinated population or is it the politicians? can't really be both. It has to be one or the other. Who gets it worse? Somebody's going to get it.
0: Right. Well, you know, Josh Marshall uh, of Talking Points Memo, who is, uh, to put it mildly, not my favorite pundit. Uh nonetheless does make a very salient point which is look 71% of the population is is vaccinated right that's what the number i was just throwing out probably higher by 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 august it will be it will be if if 70% of the population will be fully vaccinated by the end of august the number of you know one shot people will probably be up at around 75% you're damn right they can be angry than vaccinated that's 3 quarters of the country Being held hostage by a quarter of the country, which is behaving like lunatics and idiots.
2: Uh, But that's Noah's point. They're not being held hostage by the unvaccinated. They're being held hostage by political leaders who see some benefit in terms of accruing power to impose continued restrictions because somehow that benefits them. You're seeing. And if that's a paradigm,
1: I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead, Christine. But if that's a paradigm we're 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 adopting ourselves, it's a recipe for this forever because that population is not going to get vaccinated. Ever under any circumstances?
0: That's by the way. By the way, I'm not sure that that's true. That is to say, we are seeing vaccination rates increase. We've seen it for three weeks. On the margins. Which is a, it's not the margins. I mean, we went from like 400 thousand shots a day to 800 thousand shots a day. It's not on the margins. It's not everything. It's not. It's not back to three million a day. And we'll see what happens when they when they release 100% the vaccine.
1: Percent isn't happening. It is a fallacy. I didn't say 100% was going to But happen. if that's the goal, well, which seems to okay. be, I don't understand what the end game here is if it's not 100%. There are people who have made an identity out of not being yes, vaccinated. Yes, I
0: know. I know. But that's not everybody who was not vaccinated. That's actually, this is, again, we are we are now alighting the sort of the Twitterati with low information, weird, lazy people who can barely get out of bed anyway, who don't do anything with people who are making a conscious ideological decision. And we don't know how many of them are who and in which number, but I'm mad at them and they should be punished. And that's all I'm going to say. And even if they're only doing this because this is only happening because the politicians are taking advantage of it, I don't care. They are putting themselves and other people at risk. They are putting people at risk of getting breakthrough infections. Even if that number is vanishingly small, that is a moral obloquy upon them, and that's just simply the case. And if you want to write, again, I say to my listeners, if you want to write to me, explain to me that I'm being mean to you, I don't care. I don't care if you think I'm being mean to you. It doesn't matter to me whether you think I'm being mean to you. Hundreds of millions of your countrymen have done the right thing, and you are doing the wrong thing, and that's just the way it is. And and so I'm not saying that majority rules, but in this case. You are being ordinary and stupid, and you are perpetuating something that need that needed not be perpetuated. And you are giving politicians the very the very controls that Christina and I are talking about that 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 deserve that they do not deserve and should not have. Having said all that, I want to talk to you about David Bonson, the Bonson Group, Dividendcafe.com, and the DC Today.com. You've heard me talk about this 3 billion dollar under management by coastal financial services firm invest people's money. David is one of the most thoughtful uh investors and managers out there and uh, dividendcafe.com his weekly newsletter has a special report out right now put out on August 6th about investing in China. It is spectacularly interesting. Uh David is uh, a, a conservative who believes in the free market, believes in uh, democracy over totalitarianism, and believes that you know the Chinese system is profoundly unjust. Nonetheless, using all you know with all those moral frames in place, the question is what to do about China and what to do if you are an investor in the world with possibilities in China and what he talks about is spectacularly interesting in relation to the bond markets and the equity markets. you got to read it. If you go to DividendCafe.com right now, you can download this Investing in China Special Edition. Subscribe to it. You can read it every week. Subscribe to the and get the daily reports on the markets from David Bonson and the Bonson Group, The Antidote to the Intellectual Spaghetti of the Financial Services and Management Industry. So we got to go um I just want to say we we are I'm startled and heartened by how many people contacted us even though we were having all these downloading problems about our Friday show which we because of other technical problems we basically focused entirely on cultural questions. I talked about Smokey and the Bandit, Abe talked about Last Exit to Brooklyn uh noah talked about what show did you talk about i i'm i'm sorry woodstock, I'm, documentary.
1: woodstock documentary woodstock documentary and um <clears throat> for all mankind
0: anyway there's been a there's been a kind of like a wild uh enthusiasm expressed for this uh, non-political show uh let me know uh, you can email us at, at podcast at uh, commentary.org uh, let us know uh, if, if you do like these kinds of shows and want them to continue, and if there are topics you would like us to take up that are not political. And by the way, I mean not political in the sense that we're not going to talk about politicians, we're not going to talk about the left, we're not going to talk about the right, but we will talk about you know cultural social matters and then try to integrate them into our general worldview and give you a sense of that. So let us know at podcast at commentary.org. For Abe, No, and Christine, I'm John Pod We'll be back tomorrow. Keep the candle burning.